Hi everyone, my name is Laura, and you're listening to LF Photospace, a podcast dedicated to all things photography. Today we are going to discuss some of the best camera settings to keep in mind when you're capturing movement, if you're doing it indoors or in a studio. But before we get there, I just want to continue to say thanks to all of our listeners. Thank you to those of you who support us. Thank you to those of us who give us a like every time you go into our Instagram page. And for any newcomers, we welcome you. And this is basically your online gallery, question-provoking, question-promoting place where you can send us messages, you can give us information, you can share your details. If you want to share personal stories about your photography experience, please feel free to do so. Um, we do have a few new projects in hand that are coming up and we hope that you'll stick around to get a hold of those and to see those. Some of them may be pre-recorded, others may be live, but keep in mind that this is a space to capture all things photography. And when we say that, we really mean that. So again, thank you for those of you who have been listening to us. Welcome to those who have just started to listen to us. And thank you to those veterans who have been and continue to support us. Now, without further ado, we'll get started about those camera settings that you should definitely keep in mind when you're capturing very crisp and very motivational movement, if I can say that, in a studio setting or an indoor setting. So as we talk about those tips that we offer you, we want to make sure that you're able to better understand how to use your camera, specifically your settings, because this is how you're going to capture those very special moments. You know, if there are movements, if they're moving, and there is a detailed video out there that explains how the process works, but it's also nice to hear how step-by-step step you can accomplish this just by listening. Sometimes visuals do help, but other times if you're not able to see a visual or you can't really relate, sometimes someone telling you and going through the steps with you helps a little bit, if not just as much as actually watching a video. So we are going to give you a breakdown of the settings that you need to understand to keep your images sharp, specifically when involving the use of movement. And so number one would be to choose the right shutter speed. We can't mention this enough, I'm sorry, because it is something that is extremely important. Um, that is dependent 100% on how you're going to shoot your movement shots. If you're doing it for sports, if you're doing it for dance, let's say, or any type of specific movement. Now, understanding the sync speed is also important. And so your sync speed is the fastest shutter speed that your camera can actually use and still be able to sync with a flash. And so with a lot of the modern cameras that are available now, it is about 1 to 200 or 1 to 250 seconds. And so there are flashes that have been called the high speed sync or perhaps um, just high speed overall or high sync. And so this type of high speed sync will allow a ape camera or any particular camera to go up to its most maximum speed or perhaps the, the maximum shutter speed that is specifically designed for your camera. 
with a significant loss of power. So that is kind of a downfall per se. Now, looking at different images that I will share with you later on, um, you can see the difference in the shots and how these are taken. So there are images that I will show you. Some of them were taken at an F8 f-stop, which is your shutter speed stop, at 1 to 250 seconds with an ISO of 100. And so the other image that I will definitely show, and you can see the difference, is shot with the same shutter speed at an f8, but the seconds are different. So you're shooting in a difference of 1 over 250 now to 1 to 320 seconds, of course, with the same ISO, which would be at 100. If you are not familiar with what an ISO is or what an f-stop is, make sure that you look that information up as you're following along with our podcast because we do tend to mention those a lot as they are Bible studies, which I like to call photographic Bible studies of how you're supposed to handle your presets, how you're supposed to handle the settings on your camera, etc, etc. Now, the difference between the two images that I will go ahead and say once again that I will show much later is basically a fraction of a stop of light on that particular shutter speed setting. Now, the result is, if you can imagine it or if you can picture it, the result is literally about three stops under the exposure of one from the other. Now, this happens because the image on the lighter side or perhaps the quicker side of the camera literally went above the maximum speed of the sinking of that camera and it actually forced and actually allowed your camera flash to kick into high speed sinking, if that makes sense. Now, I can tell you this. The, the flash still fired, but it used significantly less power, even though the flash settings really pretty much remain the same. And so the bottom line of this conversation is that, again, high-speed sync causes a huge drop in power in your lights, meaning the lights inside your camera. And now if you're looking to shoot crisp movements indoors or in studio, you should there should not be any particular reason to have to force you to strobe or to use your strobe into high speed syncing. If again, if you understand where I'm coming from. Now, what you definitely want to do is you want to keep your shutter speed at or just below the maximum sync speed for your camera. So let's say you kind of go over the settings in your camera and you figure out a way where you can determine what the maximum speed is for syncing, what the minimum speed is for syncing. Then you have a better understanding into how you're going to start programming your cameras manually to be able to give you that effect as you're working on movement. Tip two would be choosing the right aperture. And of course, again, which we've spoken about in previous podcasts is understanding your depth of field. Now, when we talk about right apertures and understanding your depth of field, we're saying that you really need to look at how much of the image you need to be in focus. 
Let me reiterate that. You need to look at how much of the image you want to capture in its entirety into focus. When you shoot a subject and perhaps his or her eye is in focus, but the focus gets softer as you move back towards her ears, her face, maybe her neckline, or maybe even the actual background that you're working with, then this happens because you have a very shallow depth of field. And of course, your depth of field is the plain focus of what is predominantly being controlled by your aperture and the distance to the subject. Okay, and a few things that are within the depth of field will be in focus, like I just said, but there are other things in front or behind of that particular plane where you're capturing that image that will certainly be out of focus. So what am I trying to say? Well, not everything is going to be in focus as you photograph a subject, if that is your aim, if your aim is to photograph an individual or perhaps an object that you're considering a subject. Now, while things in front of you are going to be out of focus and things behind you may be a little bit or slightly out of focus, you have to think that the wider your aperture and the closer you are to a subject, the narrower the depth of field is going to be, if that also makes sense. So let's reiterate that once more. If the eye of your subject is in focus and the ears begin to perhaps look a little softer around the focus edge or maybe you know as you're making your way back with your camera you're stepping away from clear vision of your subject then you can raise the aperture or move further away from your subject and that will allow you to create the depth of field increase Hopefully that makes sense. So again, if your focus is on a subject and the first thing that automatically comes into focus is the subject's eyes, perhaps the ears tend to be a little bit softly out of focus. It is, again, it's all dependent on how narrow your depth of field is. The further away you are, the clearer the image will become eventually where everything that is combined that you want to be a part of that image will automatically start to come into focus. And so when you're capturing movement or any type of movement overall, you may need a wider depth of field. And so imagine this, you're capturing a dancer in motion, perhaps maybe with an arm or a leg outstretched, or maybe a model in a dress with perhaps a very bouncy fabric. You always want to err on the side of a wider depth of field when you're capturing crisp or specific movement because of everything that we just discussed. You want to make sure that there's a specific wide depth that you're capturing where you're able to capture every aspect of that movement as you're making your images come to life per se. Another great tip is being able to eliminate ambient lighting. Now, ambient lighting can be interpreted into different things or perhaps in different aspects. So when you're shooting indoors or if you're specifically shooting in a studio and you're trying to capture this very 
explicit movement, the first thing that you want to do is you definitely want to make sure that you are able to eliminate ambient light with your camera settings. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you want to make sure that the light is definitely hitting the subject and the idea is for that light to hit the subject intentionally, then, you know, with lighting that you are controlling and not necessarily flat light from overheads, let's say that you're in a studio where there's ceiling lighting, but you also have specific lighting set up from either angle of the subject that you're photographing. You want to make sure that the light that is hitting the subject is intentional light and that is going to allow you the opportunity to not have to worry about overhead lighting or perhaps additional lighting that is surrounding your subject. So basically what you're doing is the closer your your lighting is or that artificial lighting that you're using is specifically to capture those poses or those movements, you don't really need to worry too much about what is above and anything else that's expanding beyond that depth of field that you're trying to capture. Now, what you want to do is you want to be able to set your camera so that that is irrelevant to how you're going to photograph. What you also want to do is you want to check the shutter speed, perhaps make sure that it is at 1 to 1 over 250 or whatever the maximum sinking speed is for your camera. Notice how we talk about the maximum sinking speed. And the next thing that you want to do is you want to set your aperture to again, which is something that was written to me. It was spoken to me. It was basically instilled in my brain, to say the least, as I was studying analog photography, that you always want to start with a shutter speed of 1 over 250 with an aperture of f8 and your ISO to take you to 100. And later on with different podcast episodes, we're going to go ahead and go over what the difference is in the ISOs. And I believe that we have, but we will go into much more detail. And so you want to do that. You want to take a picture with those settings with the flash turned off and you want to be able to frame the subject or the object that you're photographing completely, okay? And everything else that is around you should be completely black, meaning that no artificial lighting should be so readily available and not as, not as close as you would want them to be for that subject that you're actually testing this ISO and this aperture opening at, Okay, again, your frame should be completely black. If it is not completely dark, then you want to adjust the aperture until it is completely dark. So when you're looking through your lens and you're maneuvering your shutter speed, you want to make sure that you could see the least amount of light possible. So in Lehman's terms, the darker the lighting or the darker you can see through your lens, the better capturing you're going to do. Now, don't necessarily go automatically to change your shutter speed because this is going to ruin the type of image that you're practicing with. So in other words, do not change the shutter speed above your speed sinking speed or your shutter sinking speed. Got it? <laughs> All right, so another great tip is 
you really do have to consider what your most important factor is going to be. And that, my friends, is having the ability to understand your flash duration. So with any photography that you're doing, whether it be analog, whether it be digital, whether it be color, whether it be black and white, your ultimate goal here is supposed to be to help your camera develop the sensor that is going to be exposed to light for as little time as possible, if that makes sense. That is actually what is going to capture and help you capture crisp movement, meaning very sharp movement. Now, with camera settings that basically do their best to eliminate ambient light and maybe the use of a shutter speed at or below the maximum sinking speed, the duration of your flash is going to be the key number that will help you determine the crispness of that image that you're trying to take. Now let's imagine for a second, if we sit back and we close our eyes and imagine that you are in a completely blacked out room at this point in time, okay? And at this point in time, it is so dark in there that it really doesn't make a difference whether or not your eyes are open or not because you really can't see anything, right? Am I right? I mean, this is where we're trying to go. Either way, you're pretty much in total darkness. Now, imagine again, if your eyes are still closed, just continue to imagine that light is coming in in the room that you're sitting in for perhaps one to one hundredth of a second while your eyes are open. So try and picture that for a moment. Take it in and try and picture that. And that, my friends, would be if your eyes are open for 10 seconds, they could also be open for half of a second. And so it really doesn't affect the amount of time that your retinas are illuminated. So as long as they are open when that burst of light hits, if you catch my drift. And that, my friends, is also how flash duration works. So again, let's go back and kind of briefly summarize. The amount of time your eyes are open is your shutter speed. And the time that the light is turned on and also off is the flash duration. Now, your flash duration makes your shutter speed irrelevant as long as it is below that sinking speed and you have been able to eliminate all ambient lighting with other settings on your camera. If we look at different images, again, try to imagine that we're looking at two different images with what we just tried to imagine ourselves as we're going to photograph this particular subject or just the fact that we're practicing what our shutter speeds will do for us. What I'm saying is there's a difference of the maximum sinking speed of your camera if you're using 1 to 250th of a second. And there's a difference if you're using your camera with a shutter speed of one to two thousandths of a second. And even though the shutter speed is eight times as fast as the one before, basically what I'm saying is if you're working with these two speeds, there's really not that much of a difference. 
I will go ahead and, and give you samples or examples of these because it'll make more sense once you're able to see. But if you think of it in that manner, even though the shutter speed is eight times as fast, there's really not that much of a difference in the crisp movement or capturing of crisp movement as we would with a shutter speed of one to 250th of a second. Now, the reason for this is that if you're using a strobe, which many of us will automatically use, you have to think that the motion is stopped by the flash duration rather than the shutter speed. If we're looking at a painting, you'll see that the flash duration of that particular shot was one over four thousandths of a second and so even with a slower shutter speed the sensor that was uh, allowing you to be illuminated inside your camera for a much shorter period of time resulted in a crisper image we will go ahead and go back to that and we'll show you what those actually look like so that you get a better understanding and so, reiterating back to everything else, studio flashes do put an intense amount of light very quickly for many of us photographers. And at times, it might really seem like it's instantaneous. But what it actually does is it allows the ramps of the flash tube to go from 0 to 100% brightness and really back down to 0 again in very in a very short time span and so that particular flash duration is measured in either t.5 or t.1 numbers and there's a chart that really does explain it but i will go ahead and copy that and add it as part of our podcast we will go ahead and add that on our instagram page so you can get an idea of exactly what we're talking about between a t5 t1 and so T5 really does measure the length of time that the flash goes from zero up to 100 and then back down to 50%. The T1 really also measures how fast the light goes from zero then to 100 and then back down, but it goes to 10% as opposed to 50%. If we go back and really look at those Ts, the T1 and the T5, we also learned that T1, the number for it, is actually more accurate for reading, for measuring the amount of time your camera sensor is lighted up by the light from the flash. And so the flash duration really does tend to change with the power setting of your light. And so for additional information on the shooting projects, or perhaps the style of shooting, we will also post that information on our Instagram page. But to go back into Lehman's terms, if you really do understand any, if not all of these principles, you will really be able to take your guesswork out of choosing the correct camera settings for capturing that type of movement. And so we definitely understand that it can be confusing and it is something that does take time for you to process, but keep at it because it really is important for you to better understand what your focus is, is on, what type of lighting you're going to be using, who is going to be your subject or what is going to be your subject or your object. So just keep that in mind. 
And so with that, guys, we end. But please let us know if you have any questions or any comments about this podcast. Feel free to reach out to us via DM on our Instagram page at LF underscore photo space. And we look forward to the next episode. We hope that you do too. And you'll hear from us again real soon. Have a wonderful afternoon. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Now, Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.